You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, as we enter into our second week of our study of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father has been the theme of this sermon series. The title of this morning's message I want to give to you right out of the front, right at the front, is putting first things first. Putting first things first. This prayer teaches us to put first things first. Now, I know of all spiritual disciplines, prayer seems to be the most basic. Without prayer, we can't be saved. There's not, we've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins. So, so it is the very basic. It is the first discipline that any Christian has to learn. They have to be able to pray to ask Jesus to come into their life. So, so you might be questioning or you might be wanting to check out if you are here that, that why study this? This is the basic. I mean, we all have this down. Now, now maybe some guilt might, uh, might make you tune in for a little bit. Like, I know I, I need to pray more. Listen, I've talked to enough Christians to, to say this with confidence, that every single person in here, even myself included, could pray more, right? I've talked to enough people, enough Christians, people who have been Christians for a long time, solid brothers and sisters in Christ could say, man, there's, I, I just wish I prayed more. I wish I had more of a conviction to, to pray more. And these are some prayer warriors that I've talked to. And I want you to see that what we're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks, yes, it is a, a basic spiritual discipline, but it is one that we can all grow in. I want you to think for just a second who Jesus is speaking to when He is teaching them how to pray. He is speaking primarily to a group of Jews. Men who have grown up spending hours of their day praying. They, they have prayed four or five times a day all of their known life. They know how to pray. And I believe it's because they know how to quote-unquote pray. It, it, it's that, I believe it's because of that why Jesus starts His prayer, or Jesus starts this teaching in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5 by saying this, whenever you pray, don't pray like this. And then we get into our text, starting in verse 9, and, and, the, and the meat of our text this morning is in verse 10. Jesus says, when you pray, this is how you are to pray. God bless you. This is how you are to pray. So listen, I don't want you to think that this is like, like man, I, I have this prayer thing down. I don't, need to, I don't need to learn how to do this. Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus is teaching People who know how to pray, who have spent more time than any of us have maybe ever prayed in our life. And he is teaching them how to pray. And what he starts out with, and we looked at it last week, was that wonderful gift in that phrase, our Father. 
Jesus says to us, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. He is saying this, that the God of all creation, the one who who breathed this world into existence, that holds the universe in its place, allows us to call Him Daddy, Abba, Father. Oh, what a gift. That, that when we pray that, it, it, it is, I always get the image of a little child who's possibly just learning how to walk. And he sees his daddy and, and with that massive head leans forward and begins to run in his hands upward and he is saying, Dad, Dad, Abba, Father. And that's the picture that we get in the Lord's prayer. But then Jesus teaches us in our text this morning. Look with me, if you will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's just start with verse 9. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Here's the meat of our text this morning. Your kingdom come. He is saying this is a priority. Putting first things first. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our text this morning is found there in verse 10. This is where I want to spend the majority of our time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Right here, right now, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the instruction that, that, that Jesus is giving us on how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the priority of prayer. The priority of prayer, don't miss it, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the priority. Now listen, sometimes we get caught up by thinking that that prayer is all we're doing is we're asking for God to hurry up and come back and get us. That we're, that we're pleading for God to come back, for His kingdom to come and to reign. And there is an element of, the, of that prayer asking for that. But there is another element, and I believe a much larger element, of prayer asking God and recognizing the priority. Oh God, may your kingdom come in my life. May your will be done in my life as your will is in heaven. That's the priority that we see in this prayer. If you, if you just fast forward just a little bit, in verses 31 through 33 of the same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, look at what Jesus says in this same sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Notice what he says in verse 33. Seek first. Notice the priority. Not what you will eat, not what you will wear, not what you will drink, not what you will do throughout your life, not what, what, your, what your tomorrow holds, but notice the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and 
His righteousness. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. All of these things that create worry, that create anxiety in our life, God is saying this, that that when we seek first His kingdom, the priorities is get the priority right. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. What, 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 is, what is Jesus talking about when, in this prayer specifically, about putting things first? I believe He is showing us power. I believe He is showing us strength. I believe it is the power of putting first things first. Listen, as we seek His kingdom, we can stop worrying about ours. That's what we see in verses 31 through 33. Don't worry about what you will will, uh, eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Seek first. Listen, as we seek His kingdom, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious about ours. We can stop being consumed with our kingdom. This is powerful. I'm telling you, listen, if we could get this down in our life, it would change things in a major way in our life. If we sought God's kingdom over our kingdom, would have a major shift in our life. Listen, we can stop being consumed with building our kingdom. With, we can stop being consumed with, with, with what's going on in, in our life or what's going to take place or being consumed or worried about what is going to happen tomorrow or next week or, or a year down the road. Listen, we can stop being consumed with being the Lord of our life. Listen, when we're consumed with being the Lord of our life, listen, it is the first step of running off the rails. When we try to become the Lord of our life, it is the first step of running off the rails. I believe it is the genesis of worry and anxiety. When we try to be the Lord of our life, we are planting seeds that sprout worry and anxiety. And here's Jesus. He's saying, man, this is powerful. Seek first the kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, when we try to become the Lord of our life, this is where we get in trouble. Because when we're the Lord of our life, we are putting God in second place. And we're putting ourselves in first. Listen, when God is second place in our lives, we are attempting to be Lord we're playing God in our little finite kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I make a horrible God. Have you ever recognized that in your own life? Listen, we've all tried it, right? We've all tried to be our own God. We've all tried to be the, our own Lord of our life. We've all tried to, to plan out our days. I don't know about you, but I'm not too good at it. Listen, what, what, what Jesus is teaching us in this incredible lesson on prayer 
is that we have to get our priorities right. Seek first, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be, be, be provided for you. How are we to do that? How, just practically, and I, I want to share this, I want to share just some practical lessons on how we can seek first the kingdom of God. What I'm going to share with you are some things that I have learned along the way by two powerful men of God, two strong, godly men. One of them is Ken Hemphill. Ken Hemphill was the president of Southwestern Seminary, I believe, for 20-some-odd years. The other one is Adrian Rogers, and you probably have all heard of Adrian Rogers. The principles I'm going to share with you is what I have learned from them on how we can practice the first things first, seeking the kingdom of God first. And here it is. First thing is this. It is the principle of God's preeminence. It's the principle of God's preeminence. God gets the first. That is preeminence. What is the kingdom of God? It's it's the realm where God is preeminent. It's where He is King. It's where He is Lord. It's where He reigns supreme. Listen, our God will not take second place. Our God will not take second seat to anybody or to anything. Our God is not a part-time God. His throne, listen to this, God's throne is not a bench seat. (laughs) It is a single seat captain's seat. He doesn't have a side gig. God demands. Listen, God desires. God deserves first place. He deserves preeminence in our life. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Write this down in the margin of your Bible or somewhere in your notes. Listen to what it says. You can follow it along on the screen. Listen to how the Apostle Paul fleshes this preeminence of God out in his own life. Listen to what he says. He is before all things. Speaking of Jesus, He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head. Notice the preeminence. He is also the head of the body. He is the head of the church. Notice the preeminence. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place, literally, so that he might become to have preeminence in everything. This is the Apostle Paul. This is how he is fleshing this out, this, this preeminence, this our uh, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in our life. Listen, God doesn't want a place in your life. This is where I believe a lot of cultural Christians struggle. That Christianity, for many, is a checkbox. Okay, I got saved, check, and now I'm going to, I'm going to add, he, God, is, a, God is, a, is part of my life. I'm going to add Him to my life, and I'm going to go on, and I'm going to live life the way I choose, and I'm going to look back to Him for some moral guidance. I'm going to look back to Him for some, for some assistance from time to time. No, listen, God doesn't want a place in your life. God doesn't want a prominent place in your life. God demands preeminence in our life. 
This is why Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, this, this is why Jesus is teaching us. Do you, when, you, when you read this, have you ever thought, why, why is Jesus teaching this? Why is he sharing this to a group of men who, who know how to pray? In Luke, they ask Jesus, hey, how, how is it that you pray? We've seen you do some incredible things, but nothing is as powerful as when you go away and you pray. Why is Jesus teaching us this? I believe he's teaching us to pray like this because he is training us to long for God's kingdom to be first place in our life. He, he wants us to long for that. He wants that to be the first part of our prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to long for it just as he longs for it. You remember the prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5? I want you to go back sometime this afternoon and read that and notice how Jesus longs for God to be preeminent in his own life. Listen, he longs for us to have that. Desire, passion. Listen, I believe in every one of our lives there is something that takes first place. There's something in our life that gets first chair. And if it's not God, if it's not His kingdom, then listen, our life is running off the tracks. You might not see it now. It might be five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. God forbid it's not 30 years down the road and you look back and go, man, where did I go off 30 years ago? One Christian man said it this way. I put his quote up on the screen. Notice, listen to what he says. I love this statement. In every heart, there's a throne. And when self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. When Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. Look at that again. In every heart there is a throne. When self is on the throne, we're putting Christ on the cross. But when Christ is on the cross, or when Christ is on the throne, we're on the cross. In other words, we're, we're dying to ourselves, and we're saying, man, not my kingdom come, God, but your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ Lord in your life? I believe there are too many people who are satisfied with Jesus being Savior, but not Lord, not Master, not guard of your life, God of your life. Is Jesus Christ Lord in your relationships? Is Jesus Christ Lord? He wants to be. He deserves to be in the relationship, in your friendship relationships, in your marriage relationship, in uh, teenagers, in your, in your dating relationships. Is Jesus Christ Lord? He wants to be. He deserves to be. Listen, is Jesus Christ Lord in your work or in your, in your education? Is He Lord? He, he wants to be Lord. He's, Jesus is saying, invite Him in. Ask Him. For His kingdom to come into your relationships, into your work, into your education. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your calendar? Listen, the next seven days, 
has it, has, have you considered what God's desire is for you to do in the next seven days? Much less the next year, two years, or five years. He longs to be our Lord in our calendar. Listen, is Jesus Christ Lord in your budget? Is He Lord in our budget? He, he longs to be. He deserves to be. He wants to be Lord in our budget. Is He Lord in our speech? In the way that we speak to others? In the way we speak about others? Is He Lord of our speech? Listen, oh, may we long for God to have preeminence in every area of our life. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done, God, in every area of my life. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. In every area of our life, and invite God to be king, for Him to be preeminent, for Him to be the Lord of that area of your life. Your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And this is the, this is the heart of the Apostle Paul. Well, we see a great example. And, and oftentimes, I'm afraid that we look at the Apostle Paul and we say things something like this. Like, man, that was the Apostle Paul. That's not me. I want to tell you the Apostle Paul is a great example for all of us to follow. The Apostle Paul knew it as well as he talked to Timothy, as he talked to Titus and other of his disciples. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He is, he is one that we should imitate. He is one that we should follow. The Apostle Paul was a man of flesh just like you and I. But this was his heart that God would have a preeminence in his life. This was the man that Paul was. He had a life that was dedicated to the preeminence of Jesus. And we see that clearly in Philippians chapter 3. Write this down in your notes. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Follow along with me on the screen. Listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. That of it is complete knowledge of God. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Notice the preeminence. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching, literally straining, bending myself towards straining forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize, prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood the power of putting first things first. His goal, his one thing, is found in verse 10. It's knowing Christ. That's what he says in verse 10. And you think about the Apostle Paul as he is writing this. He's, he, is, he is in prison as he is writing this. He, he's not saying the one thing that I want is to get out. He's saying the one thing that I want to know more than anything else is I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. He says, in the power of His resurrection. I want to know what it's like to walk in a new way. 
To no longer be bound to my sins. To no longer to be, to be falling for my temptations. Here he is in chains in a cave and this is what his prayer is. I want to know Christ. I want, to, I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. I want, to, I want to have a theology of suffering that doesn't say, woe is me because I am in these chains. But maybe because I am in these chains, God's name may be glorified. That's what He's saying. I want to know the power of His sufferings. And I want to be conformed to His death. I want to know how to say, less is me, less of me, and more of Christ. I want to know how to get off the throne and put Jesus on the throne in every area of my life. The Apostle Paul is saying that. A man of flesh, a man of sinful nature, a man with the same blood as you and I, has a heart for the preeminence of God in his life. Paul, Paul is doing this. He is narrowing his life goal to one thing. Knowing Christ. He is focusing everything that he has to knowing Christ. And Paul shows us here the secret of power is concentration. He says, this is it. This is, this is how I have the power to do what I do. It is concentrated on knowing Christ. Christ. But listen, concentration doesn't, doesn't mean limitation. And, I, and that might be exactly what you're thinking at that moment. As I, say, as I say, Paul concentrates everything on knowing Christ. You might say, well, wait a minute, Paul. I, I mean, I have to work. I have to I have my family. I have to do this. I have to do that. Listen, concentration doesn't mean limitation. If you take a light and you concentrate it until it becomes a laser. It becomes powerful. But it doesn't become limited. You take a light and you concentrate that light all the way down to a laser. Think of all of the things that a laser can do. Lasers are used in the medical field. They're used in military. They're used for industrial uses. They're used for entertainment. They're used for aviation. They're used for meteorology. Listen, concentration doesn't mean limitation. It means power. The Apostle Paul understands the power of making the first things first. Seeking God's kingdom in every aspect of our life is concentrated. It's making God preeminent. And I'm telling you, watch this. Listen, it, this, this doesn't constrain us. It frees us. Think with me for just a moment. The rails on a highway, you're going, you're going through the mountains. And, and on one side, you have a cliff, but you have a guardrail. That guardrail is not limiting you. That guardrail is freeing you, isn't it? That guardrail doesn't limit you. Listen, if, if the guardrail wasn't there and you accidentally went too far, you're, you're dead, right? It doesn't limit you. It frees you. Concentrating everything we have on Christ frees us. It releases us. It releases us to be on one of the greatest journeys of our life. Listen, I believe that everyone wants to go to heaven, but few want to do heavenly things. 
Everyone wants to go there, but few want to do heavenly things. And I'm not talking about doing heavenly things to earn our way to heaven. Guess what's going to happen in heaven? God's will. God's will is going to happen in heaven. Jesus is teaching us to seek out today God's will in every area of our life. If you want power in your life, as Henry Blackaby used to say, find where God is at work and join Him. Get engaged there. Get get involved there. Find where God is at work and join Him. Give Jesus preeminence. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness and then jump in with both feet. Listen, we, are, we want to go to heaven. But few want to do heavenly things today. If we don't want to do heavenly things today, why in the world would we want to go to heaven and do heavenly things in heaven? Listen, don't get sidetracked. No one running a race, aiming to run their personal best time, multitasks while they're running. No one wanting to run a race, running to run their best time, weighs themselves down with multitasking. They lay aside everything that would hinder them from their goal. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Verse 12. I'm telling you, this verse is a freeing verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 is this. Everything, the Apostle Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. You want to learn how to lay some things aside? Remember this verse. Everything is permissible. Oh, I can multitask while I run. Everything is permissible, but it's not beneficial to my task. My task is to run a race. My task is to run my absolute personal best. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Listen, we must stop judging our activity on simply is it legal or not. We must stop judging our activity on whether will I get caught or not. Our goal in life is that Jesus Christ would be preeminent. And this is what we measure our activity by. Is, and you fill in the blank of that activity, is this activity bringing me closer to my goal? And my goal is Christ-likeness. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christ-likeness, little Christ. Is this activity, is this relationship bringing me to Christ-likeness? Is this recreation bringing me to Christ-likeness? Listen, recreation isn't wrong. God often says, come away and rest and be refueled. Recreation isn't wrong. But we have to ask ourselves at the end of recreation, am I more like Christ? If I'm not, it's not that recreation is wrong. I've just done it wrong. Is this activity bringing me closer to my goal? That needs to become our question. Everything is permissible. Listen, I can eat that, but is it? beneficial for me? Is it bringing me closer to my goal? Listen, take everything you do, your job, your education, your pleasure, and your hobbies, and ask these questions. Is it helping me be a better Christian? And a better Christian is God the King of your life.
Is He sitting on the throne of your life? Take everything you do, your job, your education, your pleasure, and your hobbies, and ask this question. How can I usher in the kingdom of God into this activity? And if you can't, run from that activity. Everything you do, your schedule, your, your, just everything that you do, ask that question. How can I usher in the kingdom of God into this situation? So, so what is the practical, how do, we, how do we play this out? How do, we, how do we do this? How do we practice the preeminence of God in our life? Let me give you a few things. The practice of God's preeminence. The first is this. Give God your first thoughts of your day. Give God the first thoughts of your day. This is, how you, this is practically how you play this out in your life. Give God the first thoughts of your day. Look at Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. I have often held back from saying this statement, give God the first thoughts of your day. And the reason I've held back is because I didn't want to be legalistic. But listen, the more I grow in Christ and the longer I am a Christian, I don't believe you can make it through the day allowing God to be preeminent in your life unless you start your day giving God your first thoughts. Listen, before you get to social media, get with God. Before you go to the news, get with God. Before you turn on any media, whether it be radio or TV, get with God. Before that first cup of coffee, oh man, I know I'm stretching some of you here. Get with God. Communicate with Him. Listen, prayer is talking to God. Reading God's Word is God talking to you. And the best type of communication is a two-way streak, isn't it? Get with God. Talk to God. Open up God's Word and let God's Word talk to you. And if you want to hear God talk out loud, read His Word out loud. (laughs) Get with God. Give Him the first thoughts of your day. The second way to practice the preeminence of God, or practice God's preeminence, is to give God the first day of the week. Give God the first day of the week. Now, this might be uh, hard for some of us to understand, comprehend. might be controversial. But Sunday isn't a weekend for Christians. Sunday is not a weekend day, let me say it that way, for Christians. Sunday is God's day. Sunday is the first day of the week, not the last day of the week. We give God our firsts, not our lasts. Sunday is the first day of the week. It's the day we celebrate. Literally, it's the day we celebrate His resurrection. Sunday, that's what Sunday is. It's a day where we celebrate His resurrection and what the resurrection means to us. Resurrection Sunday isn't just the Sunday after Easter. It is every single Sunday, and Sunday we celebrate that. Acts chapter 20, we see this. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Listen to what it says. On the first day of the week, which was Sunday, 
we assembled to break bread. I, I especially like this next part. Paul spoke to them. He preached to them. He's proclaiming God's truth to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. You guys think I preach long. Paul preached until midnight. They met on the first day of the week, which means as soon as the sun came up, the church gathered and they broke bread together. They had a meal together and he preached until midnight. Listen, this is where it gets like sandpaper to us. Saturday is a day of rest for us. Sunday is a day we give to the Lord. Saturday is a day of rest. Sunday is a day we give to the Lord. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Have I given this day to the Lord? Have I set aside the first day of the week for the Lord? I'm telling you, you want your week to change? I feel like I'm a little bit speaking to the choir, so to speak, but you're here. Give God physically and mentally. Give God the first day of the week today. Listen, you, you can give God preeminence when you start your day with Him before anything else. You can give God preeminence when you start your week with Him before anything else. And then number three, give God the first fruits of your income. Give God the first fruits of your income. Give Him the first, the first thoughts of your day, the first day of the week. Give Him the first fruits of your income. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Listen, a lot of times our budgets look like this. We're eating the cake and we're giving God the crumbs. When we do our budget, if we want to give God preeminence in our budget, it is, it is oftentimes it's flipping our budget upside down. It's giving God first, giving our tithe first, and then letting everything fall underneath that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So we give God first fruits of our income. I heard a story of a man who took his son to McDonald's. They were having a little father-son lunch, and dad bought his little boy a Happy Meal, and dad ate a little burger, and they were just sitting there talking. The dad was really just wanting to have some time with just him and the son. And he reached over just during one part of the conversation, and he grabbed one of his boy's fries out of his Happy Meal. And the little boy got upset and he said, Dad, that's not yours. That's mine. Why are you eating my French fry? And the little boy had no idea that the dad could shower him in French fries. Get it? And the little boy, just he, he saw one that was going to be missing. And he said, that's mine. And it dawned on that father what was happening at that moment. That's exactly how he's been treating God. He's been saying to God, God, that's mine. All the while knowing that God could shower him with French fries, so to speak. Listen, our God is a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
He's not a God who owns a cow on a thousand hills, but he owns the cattle, plural, probably thousands of cattle on a thousand hills. That's our God. And when we say, God, here's my budget. I'm going to pay the car. I'm going to pay the house. I'm going to pay blah, 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 blah. And then if I have any left over, I will tip. What we are saying is saying, God, that's my French fry. You can't have that. Who do you think you are? Listen, it is when we give God the first fruits of our income, we are giving God preeminence in our life. Listen, you, you can give God preeminence by starting your morning right, by starting it with Him, giving Him your first thoughts. You can give Him preeminence by starting your week off right, by giving Him the first day of the week. You can give Him preeminence by giving Him the first fruits of your income. And then number four, is give God the first devotion of your heart. Give God the first devotion of your heart. Meaning this, that there is no love greater than your love for God. There is no love in your life greater than your love for God. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, I believe verse 14, or verse 4, God is saying through John, speaking to the church at Ephesus, I have, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. God is not saying to the church at Ephesus that, that you don't love me anymore. He isn't saying to them, you're, you're rejecting me. You, you've moved apostate. It's like you've checked out. No, he's saying, you've abandoned your first love. You have other loves that have, that have, that have come before me. You've abandoned your first love. God wants honeymoon love to last forever. Do you remember what it was like to have that first love for God? Remember what it was like when you gave your life to Jesus Christ? You said yes to Him. You recognized your sin. You recognized that your sin separated you from God. And you recognized that your sin was sending you to eternity in hell. And you recognized that Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Do you remember what it was like when you prayed and you asked Jesus to forgive you and to pay the penalty of your sin and you fell in love with Him for the very first time? That's a love that God wants for us to have for Him all the time. And maybe, maybe, and I've been there, where Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 could be said about me, just like it was said about the church at Ephesus. You have abandoned your first love. You have forgotten your first love. Where other things became a priority. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. I'm a better husband when I love God more than I love my wife. Kim is a better wife when she loves God more than she loves me. Our love for God shapes all of our other loves. And when it's, when it's the other way around, when we're trying to love everything else and giving God the leftovers, listen, we can't love everything else. We'll mess it up. Listen, is your love for Jesus vibrant? Is your love for Jesus real? Listen, I can't think of a better way to renew that love than to get into God's Word and stare at Calvary. To look at the cross and think of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
to remember what it was like to be lost and to see Jesus on the cross. I'm telling you, it will renew your first love for Him like nothing else. I heard a story of a professor who came to class one day with a large jar. And along with that jar, he had some rocks, some large rocks. And he took the rocks and he took that glass jar, set it up on the table, and he, he began to put the rocks inside the jar. And he, he, he put the large rocks inside the jar all the way up to the top. And he asked his students, he says, is the jar full? And to everyone in the classroom, they all began to nod their heads. Some verbally said, yes, the jar is full. And out from under, underneath the desk, he grabbed some gravel and he poured some gravel in the jar. And that gravel began to work its way in between all of the rocks. And he poured the gravel all the way up to the top of the jar. And he asked the students, he says, is the jar full? Few, fewer of them nodded their heads. Still some verbally said, yes, the jar is, is full. He began to shake the jar. He began to uh, uh, move the gravel all the way down to the bottom. And then out from underneath the desk, he grabbed some sand. He poured some sand inside the jar over the big rocks through the gravel and he began to shake it a little bit and, and get it to where the sand was all the way up to the very to the top of the jar. He asked his students, he says, now is the jar full? None of them shook their head and one bold student said, yes, the jar is completely full. At that time, the professor took out from underneath the desk a, a, a pitcher of water. And he took that pitcher of water and he began to pour it over the sand, over the gravel, and over the large rocks until the water was brimming at the top. He asked his students, now, is the jar full? And no one said anything. To which he replied, yes, the jar is full. But then he asked them this question, what's the moral of this story? One of his students said, well, the moral of the story is that no matter how busy your life is, you can always fit more in. To which the professor said, no, that's not it at all. The moral of this story is that you put the big things in first. That if water would have gone in first, and the sand would have gone in second, and the gravel would have gone in third, there never would have been enough room for the big rocks. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is our rock. He deserves to be preeminent in our life. Amen? Let's give Him preeminence with the first thoughts of our day, the first day of our week, the first fruits of our income and our first love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.